The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Justin, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If you're just joining us, we are studying Jesus's most famous sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going verse by verse through this um, text this morning. And Jesus's whole sermon on the Sermon on the Mount is basically about how the gospel changes everything. Okay? It's not just about how the gospel changes my behavior or the gospel just changes my heart or the gospel just changes where I'm going to spend eternity. The gospel changes everything. See, when a person believes the good news of Jesus and becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, they begin to live their life differently from those who do not believe the gospel and who do not follow Jesus. This, the Sermon on the Mount, is what life looks like inside the kingdom of Jesus. We do things differently in the church as Christians than those who don't, who are outside the church, who don't follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about how our faith changes the way we behave, right? Our our works. Or orthodoxy, believing rightly about God, changes our orthopraxy, the way that we behave, the way that we follow after God. And this morning, Jesus is going to be up in your business. I'm going to tell you that right now. Listen, (laughs) I am not up in your business today. I am merely delivering the mail, okay? (laughs) I'm delivering the mail. I'm the mailman. Don't look at me, okay? This, I'm going verse by verse through this whole thing where Jesus is saying it. So I get it. You're gonna be, you might get mad at me, but I didn't come up with this, okay? I'm just sharing what Jesus says, all right? Here's what Jesus is going to get into today. One of the ways Christians are different from the world is in how they relate to and handle their money and possessions. Listen to this song from Awake My Soul by Mumford and Sons. In these bodies, we will live. In these bodies, we will die. Where you invest your love, 
you invest your life. This is exactly what Jesus is getting at in today's text. Jesus is making a striking point that the way we use our finances and resources reveals who and what we love. The way we use our money can open us up to the reality of God and stir our affections for him and move his mission forward in the world or the way we use our money can move us away from him. I'm gonna break this sermon down today into three clear points. One, the importance of vision. Two, the two treasuries to invest in. And three, one God to love. Let me pray and ask the Spirit to help us this morning. Father, we celebrate your work today. You have brought sinners to life. You have brought the spiritually dead to new life in you, and we rejoice over that. It is just an absolute joy to be a part of your move, to see you do the work that you've done in those two individuals' lives this morning. We celebrate you. We thank you for it. We ask you to do it even more in 2021. And Father, now we come and we sit here and we say, you are the creator and we need to hear from you. And so I pray that you would help me, that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords, that people would hear your voice through your word this morning and we would be changed by you. You would do something special and significant in our hearts and minds this morning as we submit to you and your word. Would you do this for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter six with me or your app. You can pull it up real quick. We're gonna start in the middle of our text because it's really the most confusing piece of the text. He's pretty clear on the rest, but let's look at Matthew chapter six, verses 22 and 23. Jesus, the most brilliant man to ever live, right? There's very few people that are sitting in buildings around this world talking about a man who lived over 2,000 years ago. There's very few people that are shaping their entire life around a man who died 2,000 years ago, but Jesus is one such man. We should listen and heed his voice. He is, was the son of God. He is the son of God and came to speak to us truth and reality that we all need to hear. And this is what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, what is Jesus saying here? Well, it's clear he's talking about the eye. The eye is a lamp, Jesus says. It's a source of light. It lets in all the light for the rest of the body. The reason we can see anything is because of our eyes. But if our eyes go bad and we're blind, it doesn't matter how much light is on in the room. It doesn't matter if the sun is shining in full brilliance. Our whole body will be in darkness if our eyes are bad. So that means if our eyes are bad, it doesn't matter how much light around us, we will still trip and fall, stumble, bump our toe. Bad things happen, right? We're not going to be able to see what's going on in the world. So this is kind of an obvious point, right? Your eyes are the source of light. Kind of an obvious point. But what makes it profound, look at the context. The literary context, where it's at in, this, in, this, in the text today. 
you see this. <clears throat> verses eight, or I'm sorry, verses 19 through 21, money and possessions. Verses 22 and 23, blindness. Verses 24 and 25, money and possessions. Do you see the context there? It's a text sandwich. Money, blindness, money. Jesus here is teaching that money and possessions have the power to spiritually blind us. Money and possessions have the power to spiritually blind us. Now, how, how do they have the power to spiritually blind us? Well, a few years back, I preached a series called Money Matters, and I dealt with this text actually in three or four different weeks. So I'm going to kind of briefly hit on it, but you can go back and listen to it if you want to find it on our website. Here's th three ways money and possession blinds us. One, money and possession has a way to blind us to our blindness. See, in the parallel passage in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says this, quote, take care and be on guard for greed and covetousness. Covetousness is living my life like it consists in the accrual and enjoyment of possessions, okay? Now, why does Jesus say, take care and be on guard, right? Take care and be on guard, as if there's something waiting to attack me that I'm not aware of, something hiding in the bushes. Like He doesn't say, take care and be on guard to gossip. Take care and be on guard of adultery. Take care and be on guard to lying. He doesn't say that. He says, take care and be on guard about greed and covetousness. Why? Well, loving the things of this world and money, it's also, you could also call that materialism, the things that we can touch and feel and have and possess. Materialism blinds us to materialism. Greed blinds us to greed. See, you know when you lie, all you got to do is trace back your words. Were they true? Were they not? You know when you gossip. You know when you commit adultery. But how do you know when you are greedy? This is some, there's something especially sinister about greed and covetousness. I've been a pastor for just over 20 years now. I've had people come in and talk with me and confess to me all kinds of sins. Selling drugs, having an affair, abusing their spouse, being addicted to pornography or alcohol or drugs. But no one has ever came in to talk to me about their greed. Not once. 20 years doing ministry in American context. The most materialistic society that has ever existed on the face of the planet. And not one person in my entire ministry has ever said, I think I might have a problem with greed. Why is that? Because no one knows when they're being greedy. Greed blinds you to your blindness. You don't even know that you're blinded by your desire for the things of the world. And that might mean it might be one of the most dangerous sins available to us. This is why Jesus says, be on guard, be on the lookout, be aware. 
One, it blinds us to our blindness. Secondly, greed and covetousness blinds us to our lifestyle choices. Now, I got this one from pastor scholar Tim Keller. He says this, we live in a very unique cultural situation. Our entire economy is built off of the reality that you can upgrade everything. There is no one product. We have a spectrum of products, right? So back in the day, you needed bread. You went to the baker and you bought bread, right? Now you can go to the store and you can buy bread. You can buy organic bread. You can buy super organic bread made from sprouted seeds in the souls of young children or something. And you can buy, I have no idea. And you can, whatever, gluten-free, frozen, not frozen, sprouted, multi-grain, black bread. I don't know what that stuff is, but works as doorstops pretty well too. Real hard stuff. You can buy a full spectrum. We got a full spectrum. Now I joke about bread, but this is true about literally every product on the market. You can go to Walmart and you can buy a $50 grill at Walmart. Or you can go to Tyson's and buy a $5,000 grill or anything in between. And guess what? They both cook meat. Now this is true for every single product. Clothes, $5 jeans at Goodwill, $500 jeans. Electronics, food, get a $5 burger, got a $50 burger. Gym memberships, vacations, tools, cars, homes, lawnmowers. There are always 50 versions of a particular product. And here's the deal. You know exactly which one you can afford. And you are very aware of the one just a little bit higher than the one you have. And what happens is as soon as a little bit of money comes into your life, maybe the government just graciously sends you a check for $600 or something, you know, you get a little bit more income, maybe a bonus, maybe a raise. You start to do a little bit better. And the first time one of your things wears out, you upgrade. You say, well, I, I can afford that. I can afford that. So the grill, grill quits. The grill rusts through, right? And you probably don't buy the same one. You probably know exactly which one you can afford in that whole spectrum of grills and you upgrade that one little thing. The next thing you know, through literally hundreds of microscopic upgrades all the time, you're always maxed out. You're always living out to the edge of your income or just over a little bit and you swipe the credit card and you never feel like you have enough Right? You never feel greedy. You just don't even realize what's happened. You're just making a little bit more money. You get a little bit more here, a little bit more there, and you're doing a little bit better, and you're upgrading just a little bit. You're upgrading here, and you're upgrading there, and you're maxed out, and you don't feel like you're rich. You don't feel like you're greedy, and you, don't, you just don't even, you're not even aware of what's going on. Why? You're blind. Greed blinds us to our lifestyle choices. Ask your grandpa, about your $6 a day coffee that you pick up. Right? He'll go to the back room and he'll, he'll pull off a vacuum sealed can of Folgers from 1984. <laughs> Coffee's coffee, son. He'll think more than likely 
He'll look at you like you're a complete fool. Six dollars a day. Have you done the math? Now, it's one thing if coffee is your thing. I'm not judging you at all. If coffee's your thing and you're really frugal and you know what, you save and you give and you, you're really frugal in other areas and you don't upgrade all the time and you know what, the coffee's my one thing, it's how I reward myself, whatever, okay, I'm totally cool. But the problem is many of us splurge everywhere. We upgrade everything. We want the best or at least above average everything. And so we feel like we never have enough and yet we still never think of ourselves as greedy. We spend way too much on ourselves and we have no idea we're doing it. Why? Because greed has blinded us to our blindness and it's blinded us to our lifestyle choices. And here's the deal also. When we're making these lifestyle choices, we also look around the world and there's a lot of people that are doing a lot, you know, buying a lot, Bigger houses, buying a lot better cars, dressing a lot fancier. There's all those Instagram influencers out there. At least I'm not like that. That person's clearly greedy. But we compare ourselves with them and we're never, we don't find ourselves greedy. Third, this might be the most important. Love of money and love of possessions, greed and covetousness blinds us to eternity. There's a a slide that I've got for us that I want to kind of, Show us here. This is your life, the dot. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. Life is a mist. Life is a vapor. We're here for a few years on this spinning rock and then we're gone. And when we go, we don't just die and there's nothing left of us. We actually are eternal beings created with a soul in the image of God. And so when we die or leave this planet, we go on to eternity. So I want you to see life, your life, no matter if it's a hundred years or 10 years, is that dot. And eternity is meant to be the line that goes off into infinity. Right now, we're living on the dot and we're living in the dot. The question is, what are we living for? The person who has been blinded by greed is living for the dot. Christians live differently because they see differently. Their eyes have been opened. The one whose eyes are dark lives for the dot. The one whose eyes are open lives for eternity. The person who has had their spiritual eyes opened to the reality of the gospel is repenting of their greed and investing in eternity. The person who lives for the dot lives for the treasures on earth that end up in garage sales and junkyards. The person who lives for the line lives for treasures in heaven that will never end. Giving generously to the work of God in the world, the church, church planting, taking care of orphans and the poor, giving towards the kingdom of God is living for the line. How foolish is it for a Christian or a person who says they're Christian to live for the dot and ignore the line? And that leads me to my second point today. Jesus says, once your eyes have been opened by him, you change your investment strategy. Let's go back to verse 19. Jesus, again, says this. 
do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now we must be careful. Jesus is not saying that these things are bad or sinful. He isn't teaching asceticism, the practice of strict self-denial as a measure of personal, especially spiritual discipline. He's not saying like, it's better to be poor and walk around wearing bad clothes or out of style clothes or, you know, that's not what he's saying here. He's comparing and contrasting investment strategies. He says, there's two possible places you can invest on earth or in heaven. On earth, he says, do not lay up. Why? This is what he says. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Jesus saying investing on earth is a high risk, low reward investment, right? You buy the shirt, you, you wear the shirt, you wash the shirt. The shirt is half the shirt it was before, especially if you got it from Old Navy, right? Like I will never unwrinkle that thing. Right? At $3 shirt, you get one wash and just throw it away. Right? That's the reality of everything we buy on this earth, right? Everything we buy. When I first bought, when I bought my first grill, I felt very manly about it. And I felt, I bought my grill. That's my grill. I have this grill. Check. Grill, check. Move on to other manly purchases from here on out. And then three years later, and I opened the grill up and the whole bottom was rusted. I was like, ah. I got to buy another, I mean, every three years, am I going to have to buy a grill for the rest of my life? That's a long time. That's a lot of grills, right? But that's the reality of investing in things on this earth, right? You pull the snowblower out of the shed, you put the thing down, tires are flat. Did I drain the oil in it? Did I drain the gas in it? Oh, is is the thing going to start? The reality is when we put money in things on this earth, it's a high risk, low reward. And ultimately, everything we're going to invest in is either going to be taken from us or we're, and ourselves, we're, we're going to die, right? Now, secondly, Jesus says, okay, so when you invest on the earth, it's high risk, low reward. You get what you get out of it. That's it. But he's comparing and contrasting it to investing in heaven. Look, the next part. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, so well, let's ask ourselves the question. So eternal investments last forever. Okay, they don't, no, no rust can break in. Okay, so how do I invest in heaven? Well, since God, his mission, his people are eternal, what is given towards his mission in the world is eternally accessible and eternally valuable. That means every dollar you give, every ounce of effort you use in serving, every sacrifice you give up for the kingdom of God, Jesus said every cup of cold water given to a needy person literally is investing into heaven, makes a deposit into that heavenly account. One of the beauties about the doctrine of the renewal of all things, that Christians don't just go to heaven Heaven is going to infect this whole earth and, re- and 
renew this whole earth. What that means is when a Christian does a good deed on this earth, that good deed will be waiting for them in heaven. It's invested into heaven. We see this in Revelation, I think it's 21, where when Jesus sets up his eternal kingdom and all brokenness is expelled from it and everything is new, the kings of the earth bring the treasures of their culture into the church. The good things that were created on this earth will be with us in heaven. Good music, good food, good those good things are going forward. So when, when we invest in God's kingdom, we're putting that investment into his eternal strategy. Now it's often been said that you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. That's meant to get the point across that none of us can take our money or our possessions with us into eternity. We're, we're only stewards of God's resources that he gives us. We die and we leave it all behind. But Jesus teaches us something even deeper here. He says it like this. This is Randy Alcorn. Randy Alcorn says, quote, quoting Jesus, you can't take money with you, but you can send it on ahead of you. Jesus commands us to be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's saying, do not waste it all on you and your immediate needs and on your kids. Invest some of it into your heavenly bank account so that you and others will be able to enjoy it for eternity. People are always looking for safe places to put their money that are going to produce a high long-term reward. And Jesus says, there's only one safe place to put your money and that is the kingdom of God and its yield is eternal. Let me ask you this morning, are you a good steward of God's money? Are you making consistent sacrificial deposits into that eternal account or are you wasting it all on the treasures of this earth? Would Jesus say to you right now, You've been faithful over a little. I will make you a ruler over much. Or would he say to me, depart from me. You're foolish. You've been using all of the resources I've given you on yourself. Another benefit to heavenly investing is that it's pretty shocking. We can see it clearly in verse 21. Look, for where... Your treasure is. There your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is in effect saying here, you can determine where your heart goes. People often say, well, my heart just isn't in it. Jesus says, well, if you want your heart to be in it, then put some money into it. Put some investment into it. You say, I just don't feel that close to God. You will never have a full heart for God if you aren't making consistent and sacrificial investments into eternity. Your heart will always be where your money is and your heart will never be where your money isn't. The reason your money flows so easy to your hobbies is because that's where your money is and that's where your heart is. 
The reason your money flows so easily to your kids is because that's where your heart is. And where your money goes, your heart goes. And where your heart goes, your money goes. So there's a diagnostic piece to this scripture and there's also a prescriptive piece. The diagnostic piece is if you want to know where your heart is, it's very simple. Check the Visa card statement. What's what's captured my imagination? What's captured my affections? What's captured my love? Check the bank account. Your money goes to what you love most. Diagnostic. You look at it, oh, I love myself. I love my comfort. I love my kids. Spending $20,000 a year on their sports and all the programs they're a part of. And I'm giving very little to God and his church. Okay, your investment is all in your kids. That's where your heart's at, right? So it's diagnostic, but it's also prescriptive. If I say, you know what? My eyes have been opened by God and I want my heart to be in God and I want my heart to be in his church and I want my heart to be in his kingdom, then I got to send my money and my resources there. You don't wait around for your heart to get into it. just waiting for my heart to get into it. You will wait forever. See, all of us, we're so aware of the upgrade cycle. We're so aware of, ah, the new phone's coming out though. I can't do it right now. Looking for that next house. I'm looking for that next car. There's never a time to be generous. And listen, this this isn't just about money either. If you want your heart to be in your church, you've got to make big investments in your church. If you want your heart to be in your missional community, you have to make big investments in your missional community. Listen, there's nothing more frustrating than a person who is wishy-washy in their missional community and they say things like, I don't know, I'm just not really into it. Yeah, because you're not making big investments into it. If you're never there, you're never going to want to be there. You're never going to feel close. You're not going to feel united. Your heart's not going to be there. Why? Biblical principle from Jesus. Your heart goes where your treasure goes, period. You've got to invest your time, your commitment, your emotions. You've got to serve and give financially. And I know millennials and all the, and the ones that are younger than millennials in here, I know that scares you. We're very, they're very scared of investing and making commitments and making decisions and saying, this is my people. We want to keep our options open all the time. The problem is that's not how your heart works. That's not how spiritual reality works, right? You get out from putting in a great investment. When you're, when you invest in somebody and say, I'm going to invest here, that's where your heart goes. Now, this is one of the great dangers from what's been going on in our year, this year with COVID-19. Some of us have stopped investing in the church. We stay home and consume. That is a recipe for lukewarmness. That is a recipe for spiritual declension going down. Jesus tells us, beware of the lukewarm heart, right? In the book of Revelation, one of the things he says to the churches is, you're lukewarm. You're kind of in, you're kind of out. You're not hot, you're not cold, and I'd spit you out of my mouth. We must all be relationally and 
economically, financially invested if you want your heart to be in it like Jesus commands it to be in it. Jesus says, love God with all your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can't do that without being invested in the church. You can't do it. And that's my last point. We have one God to love. It's up to you to choose which one that is. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one or love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is where the American church says, oh, watch me. Jesus, you missed it because if you look at my life, I serve you at least on Sunday, Tuesday night, when I'm at my MC, but the other days a week, I serve money. So obviously you were wrong. The problem is most of us don't understand that when he says you can only have one master, talking about one Lord, one king, the master is literally from the slave, the slave trade. Slave trade was, don't think, you know, what happened in our country, it's a, it was different. But still, when there was a slave and a master, the master owned you. Maybe it might've been only for a day, but whatever he told you to do, you, you did. I want you to clean this whole thing, pay you at the end of the day. That's what you're gonna do. Now, what he's saying is you can't have two masters. Well, this should make sense to us because if you have two masters and one says, I want you to come do this. And the other one says, I want you to go do that. You literally can't do that right? Those requests from the two masters don't go together, right? We, we see that. You can only have one Lord. You can have one ultimate boss. You, 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 you have one master. Once you fully understand the requirements of a Lord, you realize that you cannot faithfully obey more than one. See, let me show you how it works with money. Jesus says, give a significant portion of your wealth away towards my mission in the world. Money says, ah, I don't think that's wise. What you should do is spend it on yourself and on your wishes or save it for your future wants and wishes. That's wise. Those are competing requirements from two different masters and you cannot obey one without disobeying the other. Everyone is owned by one ultimate master, one Lord of their life. If it's money, you're a slave to what the word here is mammon in the King James, because it's not just money, it's money and possessions. It's the things of this world. If it's God, you're a slave to Jesus. Now, let me ask, how does money, mammon, how does it enslave us? Money primarily enslaves us in two ways. One, through desire, well, through desire and through worry. 
Desire is really easy to see. I just want something that I don't have and I need money to get whatever it is that I desire. So my desire for more things keeps, wakes me up in the morning, keeps me driven at work. Maybe that desire even chooses my future, chooses my occupation, chooses my major in college. That my decisions are being driven by my desire for things. Secondly, through worry. Worry and anxiety and fear. It's not a coincidence that next week we're going to talk about this because the passage of scripture that it's immediate following the scripture, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you not to be anxious about life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or your clothes. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if you're mastered by money, you will look to money to save you from your future problems. And guess what? How much money do you need to be saved in, from your future problems? Right? There's always, you got kids that you need education for. You got future fears of cancer and medical stuff and retirement. And so you never really have enough. So worry will keep you hoarding and it'll keep you a slave to money. So we're either a slave to money through desire or a slave to money through worry. Both of them. Money is your savior that promises you, I will give you what you want. You know what you want? You know what you want? You want that next upgrade on that vehicle. That will finally make you happy. We do it. We become slave. We become a slave to that car payment, truck payment, whatever it is. Right? And we're not happy. We're not fulfilled. On and on and on it goes. And though we might, I will hope someday that I can give. I hope someday I can be generous. It's never going to happen. Listen, this is universal. This isn't just for wealthy people. You, won't, you might make a $10 allowance and guess what? You should be giving some of that towards God and his work in the world. And if you can't do it with $10, don't, even, don't, don't confuse yourself or deceive yourself or lie to yourself. You'll never do it if someday by, you know, happen chance you make $100,000 a year. That's not gonna happen. It starts with little. And he, he shows us if we're faithful over little, he'll make us rulers over much. So if you live for money, you're a slave for money. Now here's the good news. If, however, God becomes the center of your life, he dethrones and demotes money. If your identity and security is in God, money can't control you anymore through worry and desire. My happiness isn't found in money. My happiness is, in, is found in God. So I can fast from buying that thing and I can also give money away to God, trusting him with my future. Here's the question for us this morning. Who is your Lord? Who is your master? Who do you love and trust and obey above all others? There is a false version of Christianity that's been growing in our culture for a long time that denies this principle that says you can serve God and you can serve money. You can serve the things of this world and you can serve God at the same time. 
Jesus says, that's a lie. You cannot serve God and money. The question is, who is your Lord? I was deeply disturbed when I saw the riot on, on Capitol Hill and people carrying flags that said, Jesus is my savior, Trump is my president. Now those two things, can, you, they can both be true in a sense, but as you storm the Capitol, which one is your Lord? That can't happen. I'll tell you, Jesus isn't the one telling you to storm the Capitol. So when somebody tells you to do something that he wouldn't approve of, who are you listening to there? My fear is the American church is weak and lukewarm and not very Christian because they've been serving God and money for a long time and they think they've gotten away with it. If you can be honest, and the only way you can be honest is if the Holy Spirit opens your eyes this morning. If you can be honest, many of you will see that it's money and the things of the world that is your Lord. It's your master. Here, the good news is Jesus came to save the lost. He came to save those who are slaves to money and possessions. That Jesus died to set us free from that master, literally to cut the chains. And he's calling to you right now and he's saying, I will open up your spiritual eyes, but the reality is you gotta choose me or the things of the world. Now, you might say, well, how do I do that? How do I switch masters? How do I live for the line when the dot is so appealing? Well, it's interesting there, there, there's a Puritan named Thomas Chalmers. He wrote this, wrote this brilliant book that was called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Now, you might not understand that sentence, okay? We don't use all those words anymore. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Here's the deal. However many years ago, 12 years ago or something, I stood in line happy, happily for an iPhone, the original iPhone. I got that thing and I was happy about it. I paid a lot of money during, back then for that thing. I was thrilled. I was happy. I was stoked about it, right? Now, if you, out, if you looked at me and you offered me that phone, I'd be like, no thanks, right? For one, I don't even know if the thing would, you know, wouldn't even turn on anymore, right? Probably wouldn't even, wouldn't even text. But why do I not desire that thing anymore? A brilliant piece of technology. Why do I not desire it? Here's why I don't desire it. I have an iPhone 11 in my pocket, right? My iPhone 11 drives the desire for that old product out of my heart. I have something better than that, right? My iPhone 11 has a greater glory than my iPhone 1. I do not, I'm not, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy the new iPhone. I don't have to do that. I don't have to, buying the new iPhone is not a white knuckle obedience. I want the new iPhone because it has a greater glory than the old iPhone, right? How do I get my heart into God? How do I get my affections into the Father? How do I desire God more than things of this earth? Easy. I see the glory of God as more spectacular than the new iPhone. 
So the desire for something better drives out the desire for something lesser. That's the way towards Christian obedience. And as I see the beauty and the grandeur and the gloriness of God in the gospel, my money flows easily towards him. Now, okay, Justin, that just seems real spiritual. Real spiritual. But you've seen that new Tesla, right? Yeah, I've seen the new Tesla. Pastor's appreciation's in October, okay? Just <laughs> talking about it, all right? Just be thinking about it, be preparing, you know what I mean? One with them suicide doors, all right? Now listen, Jesus is the only master. This isn't just spiritual, listen to me. Jesus is the only master who gives more than he demands. Every other master says, you must die for me. Think about money. Money says, search after me your whole life. All your education, think about me. Every relationship you're in, think about me. How much money has she got? How much money has he got? What's her student loans look like? Oh boy, nope, nope, nope. All your life, pursue me. Work your life away for me. And then on your deathbed, I will lie to you and deceive you and leave you. And maybe destroy your family after you as your siblings or as your children try to fight over the, the money. That's what money says to you. I'll make you happy. It breaks. There's nothing more frustrating than spending your money on the thing that was gonna solve the problem and then you go to said thing and it doesn't start. It lies to you. On your deathbed, it will leave you. It will betray you. It will offer you nothing past the grave. You live your life with a dot. You go to hell for eternity away from God. But think about Jesus. Jesus comes to us and gives us He literally gave up everything, gave up the riches of heaven to come live this impoverished life 2,000 years ago. Why? To serve us. He's the master who came and served us. He's the only master who would actually give up everything and dies to set us free from our false masters. Can you feel that this morning? See, you will never change until that grace, that reality of Jesus Christ becomes a living, breathing, moment by moment reality to your soul. That Jesus chose you over riches, no matter what your past failures were, no matter how much sin, no matter how much you worship the things of the earth, Jesus gave it all up to save you and to give you an eternity with him. Let that sink in. But here's the deal, right belief, right actions. No one goes, thank you, Jesus, for that. I ain't giving nothing. No, if you're doing that in your actions, if you're doing that, you are 100% serving money and Satan. You are not serving God. I want your eyes to be open this morning. Maybe for a long time, you've been doing that. You aren't serving Jesus. You're serving mammon. That's a different God. That's not a oopsie. That's a different God. If money is your God, you have to dethrone it through repentance and giving to the work of God. That's the only way to dethrone money. You don't just pray it 
You don't just come to church. The only way to dethrone money is to repent of our greed and give towards the work of God in the world. Do you realize this is the only time in the history of the world that we have for people to come to know Jesus and be saved by the power of the gospel? We're all praying for Christ to come back, but when Christ comes back, time's up. Nobody else repents. Why is God being patient with us? He wants more people to come to know him. We have a short time to use our resources for his mission. His mission will be culminated. It will be fulfilled whenever he comes back. That means your neighbor might not have another chance. Your friend, your brother, your, the person working in the cubicle next to you, the barista at your bar, at the coffee shop that you go to. This is the only time they have that they can accept the gospel. So we have to be pushing our resources towards that end. Think about it. You might say, well, how, how much are you talking? <laughs> Good American, <laughs> right? You have to look at what Jesus did. When Jesus treasured you, he treasured you sacrificially. It cost him his very blood. It cost him his life. He didn't just give you a little bit. Think about that. Jesus didn't come and just pray some prayers over us. He didn't come and just show us how to live a good life. He came and died for us. He gave it all up for you. Listen, if you want to respond to Jesus in faith, you have to give sacrificially. What does that mean? You've got to give enough away this year that it sacrifices your lifestyle. You should look back and go, I could have upgraded the car with what I gave to God this year. I could have bought the house in that other neighborhood. I could afford that if I... There should be real sacrifice in your giving. If you give money, but it doesn't really cut into the way in which you live, it doesn't sacrifice, you haven't dethroned money. You're still trying to serve God and money. If you don't give away enough money so it really makes a difference in how you live your life and your lifestyle, then you haven't dethroned money as your master and you're not really responding to Jesus as he's responded to you, as he's pursued you. And many of us, listen, we're praying that this year would be a year of gospel renewal, right? That's what we're praying for. That isn't just spiritual like spiritual language where we wake up one day and we just, oh, I just feel so right about my life and everything. <laughs> right? You got everything in line. You meditated. You had your coffee. You had practiced mindfulness. You wrote out your journal and everything you're grateful for. And now I'm just, oh, I'm in it today, at least for another hour and a half, right? Listen, spiritual new renewal is a, is a reality that you are awakened to who you are. You're awakened to God and that his love for you. And you feel a divine acceptance and favor towards him. You're okay with seeing your own sin. You can repent of that. You can make disciples. That it gives you a, a strength in your spine to go into your day-to-day -day life and live differently. But listen, you, you might say, well, how is that going to happen? One of the ways that happens is believing the gospel. And then as we saw last week, praying Fasting and giving. 
Those are real things that work together to peel our fingers off the things of this world and to invest into eternity. So if you want a greater re- experience of the reality of God, one of the ways Jesus tells you to do that is start giving towards the work of God. Your heart will be in it then. There's a story of the rich young ruler. He comes to God. He says, what do I need to be saved? Jesus says, obeys these commandments. He's like, killed it, nailed it, doing that. He's like, okay, one more thing. Give everything you own to the poor and then come follow me. Deuces, he's out. Why? His stuff was more valuable to him than Christ. Therefore, he lived for the dot and sacrificed the line. I don't want any of us in this room I don't want any one of us in this room to live for the dot and sacrifice the line. So would you heed, not my words, heed the words of Jesus this morning. See the greed and the covetousness in your own heart. See how you've been serving money and not God. Repent of that and then make a commitment. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it's coming down and giving today. Maybe it means signing up online giving. Starts making more investments in your missional community. If you want spiritual renewal in the new year, it's gonna come by receiving the gospel and then responding rightly through the gospel. Part of that is how we handle our finances. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to your people. We feel a great conviction because everything in our society tells us that you're not real And so we should give our life to the real things in front of us, the things that money can buy. And yet, Father, if we could really look at our hearts, we are more anxious than any generation in history. We're more depressed than any generation in history. We're more addicted to substances and things than any generation in history. That's not a surprise because we've been serving a false God. Would you free your people from the false gods, things of this world. Mammon, would you cut that cord today? Set us free, Father. Knowing we'll make mistakes, knowing there's grace for us in the future, would you help your people obey your voice this morning? As we come to the Lord's table, we come with greedy fingers. We're not holy. We're not righteous. We're not clean in ourself. We're not holier than thou. We're broken and we're in need of grace. And thankfully, that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. On the night that you were betrayed for 30 pieces of silver by a greedy man, you were betrayed. You took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you took the cup of wine and you said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood spilled for you to cover all your sins, to make us right before the Father. You did all of that for us. And now we come with greedy fingers. We confess our sins this morning and we receive grace to cover our sin. Would you communicate that to your people this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.